be back with you. If you don't know me or I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm Jared Sisson. I'm the student pastor at the cottage, our Cottage Hill campus, but uh, I, I just started that in January. Before then, I had been serving here at the island as student pastor. I served here for about three years, so it's good to be back with you all tonight. Tonight, we're going to be continuing our series, Under the Sun. Under the Sun is a phrase that was used in the book of Ecclesiastes, about 20, 39 times. It's a, it's a phrase used to describe daily life, daily life here on earth. So if you, would, if, you would, if you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18. As I was reading this and studying this, as you're flipping there in your Bibles, as I was reading this, I, I was thinking of Solomon's journey. And what we're about to read is Solomon goes on this quest. He is... He is searching for the meaning of life. And he does that. He's, he's trying to find meaning. He's trying to find happiness through success, through his work. And I was thinking about his story, and it reminded me of teenagers, okay? And if you've had teenagers, you probably will recognize this. Teenagers think that they know it all, right? Amen? All right. Teenagers think they have it all figured out. They have their life plan. They know what they're going to do. And they think they have everything. And listen, parents, I, I, when I was working here, they'd come and snitch on y'all. they tell you they, they knew better than most of you, all right? So uh, they think they have it all figured out. And I was thinking about, as adults, most of the time, we think we do too. We, and we may not think that we know better than God. We, won't, we would never say that out loud. But sometimes we have a plan for our life, and we would pursue our plan, but our plan is not God's plan. And so tonight my prayer is that we would understand that this life is not about us. This life is not about me. This life is not about you. It's not about our legacy. This life is about God. This life is about God and his Glory. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 26, it says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collectly, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Listen, Solomon was a powerful king. He ruled Israel in about 950 BC, and he was known for his great wisdom. 
Here we see that he was writing about a time in his life in which he was feeling lost, he was feeling empty, and he was searching for meaning and happiness, And which means in his quest for meaning, Solomon chose to look for meaning apart from God, ruling out any spiritual element. And you, if you were here last week, you know that that's, he, he's been on these different journeys of how he can fulfill his life without God. So, to, so just like today, more and more people are saying, I reject the concept of faith. I reject the concept of God. This is Solomon's approach. This is basically Solomon's approach. So for whatever reason, whether he got so proud he thought that he didn't need God or he so deeply doubted God, he excluded God altogether and left him out of the picture. So there's two ideas I want us to look at tonight. There's one that I think that Solomon, this lie that Solomon bought into, and it's the false promise of success. Solomon bought into the false promise of success. We, we do it as humans. We think that achievements, uh, having the biggest boat, having the biggest fish, right? The achievements we make here on earth are what's going to fulfill us. That's what's going to bring us happiness and joy. But what we're, we're going to read is that 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 doesn't last. Those things that we are building up here on earth will not last. And Solomon bought into the false promise of success. And Solomon... He was very different from us, right? He was a, a king of a powerful nation. Most of us in this room cannot make that claim, right? We, we, we cannot say, I am a powerful ruler over a powerful nation. But there, in a lot of ways, he is like us. Because every day he got up and he went to work. And his work in, involved normal duties that a political ruler would have, would have budgets, policies, procedure, national security. Uh, he, he would have had to deal with things like building parks and gardens and orchard. He, he was known for building these grand, beautiful buildings as he was expanding the kingdom. He was known for his wisdom, so that meant he also was in charge of judging difficult legal cases for his people. So as a person who works just like most of us work, Solomon thought, maybe if I immerse myself in my work, if I excel in my work, that will be the thing that really fulfills me. But as he headed down this journey, he had to confront a couple of things. As he bought into this lie of the false promise of success, he had to confront something. The first thing he had to confront is he had to confront the limitations of his human existence. He had to confront his mortality. He had to confront the fact that our lives here on earth are not infinite, that one day we will die. In verses 18 and 19, it says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet which he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. You see what he's saying? He's saying, when I die, someone will inherit all of my stuff. Someone will inherit my money. Someone will inherit my wealth. Someone will, will take everything that I have built, all the fruits of my labor, and someone will, will, will be in charge of it. And listen, he's saying that person may be an idiot, all right? He's saying that person may be so incompetent that they throw everything that he has spent his life working for, they may throw it all away. You want to hear something ironic? That's exactly what happened. 
That's exactly what happened. When Solomon was ruling, he would be considered one of the most successful kings. He wasn't perfect, but overall there was peace and there was prosperity. You see in the beginning of this very chapter, he goes on this search to find meaning, and he does it through women. He does it through alcohol. He does it through drugs. He goes every which way to find meaning in his life, just a few verses before he gets to this point. So even though he made poor personal and moral decisions in his life, he maintained a strong country. He actually achieved a successful legacy, but then he died. And just like everyone else, he had to leave the fruit of his labor to the one who came after him. The one who came after him was his son, Reboam. Reboam, uh, he, was the, he was the next king in line, and he decided that he was going to be a really strict, hard-nosed, tough guy leader. And a few months into his uh, rulership, over his reign, uh, some of his advisors, advisors said, hey, you need to lighten up on your people. And he said no. And what happened is disaster struck the kingdom. And Israel actually separated into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, when Solomon was writing Ecclesiastes, of course, he didn't know that every, all the things that his son was going to do. He didn't know that his stuff was actually going to go to waste, but he knew that it might. And just the thought that everything he worked for could be thrown away, it bothered him. In verse 20, it says this, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. In other words, he's saying, why am I doing this? What's the point of all this? If everything I'm going to work for means absolutely nothing apart from God, then what is the point of all of this? You know, the more I thought about Solomon's and what he's saying, the more I realized that there's something in all of us that wants our legacy to outlast our own lives. Does that make sense? Like there's something comforting in thinking that what I do in this world is going to outlast me. Don't you want to feel like the things you did in this world will still have an impact even after you're gone? That's how Solomon was feeling. He's saying no matter what I build in this life, I'm going to die. And there's no guarantee that what I built will last. And that bothered him. That's the limitations of our human existence. That's the limitations of our mortality. Our lives are not infinite on earth. Our lives will come to an end, and we have to face it. What I did on earth didn't mean something. What I did on earth, will it outlast? Will it stand the test of time? The second thing is, listen, when we confront the limitations of our human existence, anxiety and stress arise. So we have to confront the second thing, and it's confronting the burden of worry. He had to confront the burden of his worry. He's saying, listen, he, in verses 22 and 23, he points out two things. It says this in verse 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? His answer is, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Listen, he's first saying, he's giving us two ways in which uh, work produces anxiety. The first is he's saying work is grief and pain. In some form or fashion, if you are working, especially if you work with people, you are going to experience grief and pain, right? <laughs> right? 
Listen, but we know this from the very beginning. After, at, at the, after the very first sin of the world was committed, God said, I'm cursing the ground that you walk on. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. You will work from the sweat of your brow. That can be a little comforting, but you also need to know that, hey, listen, it's this been this way since the very beginning of time. Work is going to cause grief and pain. In verse 23, it says, even at night, their minds do not rest. Even at night, their minds do not rest. That's the second way that work produces anxiety. Did you ever, do you ever have that? Are you thinking about some problem at work and you can't get it out of your mind? Whether it's drama, whether it's some, some battle with your coworker, or you don't like your boss, or you said something wrong at some meeting. Hey, work, work keeps you thinking, all right? Uh-oh, I'm up, I'm lying in bed now and worrying about what happened today. And then you finally fall asleep maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning after stressing out about it. And then you wake up and have to go back to work even more stressed because you got no sleep the night before. Listen, here's the point. If we try and find ultimate meaning and happiness in our work, it will not work. If you try and find true satisfaction in the things that you're doing here on earth, it will not last. It will not give you comfort. It will not give you true satisfaction. Listen, it might, listen, your work and your achievements if you're in school, your grades, your test scores, listen, they might seem to deliver some confidence, some happiness, and self-esteem. But it only lasts for a little while until you have to hit the gear and grind it up a little bit more. And you go, hey, I, I've accomplished this thing at work, and that gave me some satisfaction. Now I've got to do something even better. And we have to constantly kick it into gear. So it delivers some happiness, but only for a little while. And pretty soon, we'll realize our mortality We'll start to feel the anxiety, and like Solomon, our hearts will begin to despair. Solomon had to come face to face with confronting the burden of his stress, the burden of his worry. Growing up, my dad was a bivocational pastor, which meant that half of the week he spent working in church, the other half he had a, a different job, and he had a pretty second successful job. He didn't come for much uh, early on. His, his, my granddad was also a pastor, and they didn't have hardly anything. They were a small-town Baptist church with, with not many people filling the pews. So he didn't come from anything. So he, he made it a promise to us that he was going to provide more to us than he had growing up, and he did that. But what I saw happen was Monday morning, he'd get up, he'd fly to somewhere like Puerto Rico. We thought my dad was a spy. We had no idea what he was doing, right? He was selling bank processing software. What's that, right? So we thought he was a spy. He'd get up, he'd fly to Puerto Rico. He'd come back for fly back Wednesday night for choir practice. He worked in Atlanta, Georgia, Thursday and Friday. Saturday, we spent our days printing orchestra music out at the church Saturday and Sunday we had church. Monday it started all over again. And it went on for years. And I felt the stress that my family was going through. Because those patterns that my dad was keeping in his life, started, those started to instill in my life. I've got, my mom was a teacher, so I had to do good in school. And then I had to exceed in everything else I was doing because my dad was working his tail off, so should I. So we started feeling the stress. We started to, to experience anxiety. Me and my brother couldn't keep up. 
So we turned to anything that was going to give us a little bit more satisfaction, a little bit more thrill, a little bit more happiness, a little bit more pleasure. I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol. I turned to partying. I lived it up because I couldn't feel anything. I wanted to feel more happiness, and it wasn't cutting it. And I started to, I had to, we finally, as I went into college, we had to sit down and say, what we're doing is not going to last. What we're doing is not going to save us. This, this working for success, working for striving for things is going to get our family absolutely nowhere. So we had to have a new concept of success. We had to change, all right, we're working on something that doesn't last. Now we've got to focus and, and put our eyes on something that will last. If you get where I'm going, the thing that does last is Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to do to have a new concept of success is we have to have a new awareness. Verses 24 and 25 said this, There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can find enjoyment? For the very first time in this passage, he mentions who? God. For the very first time, he mentions God. He says, without him, without God, who can find any enjoyment? So in order to start looking at success wisely, the first thing that we need to do is recognize that we're not in this alone. That's square one. Awareness that it's not just me making my mark in the world. Listen, God is in this with me, and he has to be a part of the equation. Dallas Willard, a philosopher and pastor, once said, if you're walking with Jesus Christ, you are never alone in your job. If you're a plumber, all right, if you're a plumber and you're trying to solve a tough problem, remember, it's never just you and that stubborn pipe. It's you, Jesus, and the pipe. He's here with you. He cares for you. He offers his strength, his patience, and he gives you his love For the people around you, it's never just you and the pipe. It's you, Jesus, and the pipe. It's never just you and your work. It's never just you and your client. It's never just you and your coworker. It's never just you and your spouse. It's you, Jesus, and then your work, then your spouse. It's never just you. You are not alone. It's the living Christ living within you. So you have to have a new awareness that has to be true for you. If, you. if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that has to be the first step. Because you're walking this life alone. And there's someone who's saying, hey, you don't have to do this alone. So you have to have a new awareness and then you have to have a new enjoyment. Verse 24 said this again. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Listen, in other words, he's saying, stop thinking so much about how successful you are and learn to enjoy the moment. Stop being such a workaholic that you have no time to enjoy the life that God's given you. Listen, parents, grandparents, people of the church, we have to stop promoting the idea that true enjoyment, true satisfaction comes from winning a ball game, getting the best grades, getting the best job, receiving the highest honor, getting the best pay. Listen, these things are amazing. But when we instill that accomplishments, 
mean more than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not helping the next generation find something and build something that will last. We are not helping the next generation find and understand where true joy comes from, where true love comes from, where true peace comes from. You have to have a new awareness. You have to have a new enjoyment. And you also have to have a new peace. Verse 23, it said, even at night, their minds do not rest. What is it about work-related stress or school-related stress that, that keeps us up at night, right? It's the subconscious belief that it's all on me. It's this, this is my problem. I'm not sure if I handled it right in the meeting today. I think she might be mad at me because of what I said. I have to figure out how to handle it and fix it tomorrow. And I also have to replay it every time it could still go wrong. And your mind just gets in this endless loop because it's all on you. But when I, when I really believe that God is in this with me, when I really believe that Jesus Christ, the living Christ, lives within me, something huge changes. And you can't miss it because now it's not all on me. It's not all on you. All the way back in the Ten Commandments, God gave the commandment to practice the Sabbath. So go ahead, work six days, but then take one day off to stop. Just don't work, rest, relax. Listen, it's right up there with don't steal, don't kill, and don't cheat on your spouse. Why is rest such a big deal? Because when we leave work at the office in the evening or we resist the urge to work on the weekend, we're saying, hey, the world can manage okay without me. Even when I stop working or even when something at work goes wrong, God is still God, and it will be okay. I love Psalms 127, verse 2. It says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It also says in Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep, me, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's saying when you trust in him, he gives you perfect peace. The Hebrew word for perfect peace here translates to shalom, shalom. And I think that, that that phrase needs to be a prayer that we often pray. Because when we're lying in our bed at night and we're wondering, or, hey guys, if we're still just struggling to keep our CPAP mask on our face and we're just frustrated, right? We need to practice saying, shalom, shalom. Lord, let your peace be with me. Help me through this situation because it's no longer on me. The Lord is walking with you. You have to have a new awareness, you have to have a new enjoyment, you have to have a new peace, and lastly, you have to have a new selflessness. When I listen to Solomon, I'm struck by his self-centeredness, right? Like he, he, this whole time he's saying, what if I die and leave all my great accomplishments to some idiot who's not nearly as smart as I am? And why should I leave all my stuff to someone who didn't even work for it? It's not fair, I'm the one who earned it. And what if people forget me when I'm gone? Two people come to my mind when I read this. The first person is myself, is us. We are so often like this. 
It's all about me, all about my accomplishments. I've got to do this thing next. I've got to accomplish this next. I've got to achieve this next to feel a little bit more happiness, to feel a little bit more fulfilled, a little bit more satisfied, to feel a little bit more pleasure. That's the first, thing, that's the first person that comes to mind. The second person, a more important person, is Jesus. When I think about Jesus and I think about this, I think about how differently Jesus approached life. I want us to look at the counsel that Paul gives in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others before yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. That is revolutionary. Think about those words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about my legacy. It's not about my recognition. I think that gets us sometimes because <laughs> we work our tails off and then we want to be recognized for the work that we deserve or the, to get recognition for it. And it's not about my glory. I don't have to obsess over those things anymore. It's not about how many likes or followers I have or how many promotions I get or how many invitations I get to a party. It's not about having the biggest boat, catching the most fish, the biggest fish. It's not about any of that. My identity is no way based on those things anymore. And then he says, be more interested in the success of others than in your own success. How do we do that? How do we take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on something that lasts? How do we take our eyes off of our work and fix them on Jesus or fix them on anybody but ourselves? Philippians 2, when we continue, it says in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is the most important verse. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The key that changes our mindset from being self-absorbed, self-promoting, self Pitying when things don't go our way or things go wrong. The key is to trust. The key is to follow and build our identity on Jesus Christ, especially the cross of Christ. Listen, does that make sense? Let the reality of Christ on the cross shape the way that you look at yourself, the way that you look at your work. It doesn't mean that we don't do our jobs well. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard. But it means that we hold our own success a little bit more loosely. And we're quick to give up our own glory for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ. This life is not about us. It's about him. It's about God and his glory. If you have your Bibles, close them. Put your phones up. Put your notepads up. I want us to tell this last story before, before we go head out this, this evening. King Solomon's journey to find meaning in work and fulfillment in life reminds me so much of the prodigal son. The prodigal son and King Solomon have very similar stories, and I didn't really put it together until I was studying for this. You see, Solomon, he was trying to find fulfillment, enjoyment, and satisfaction in the things of this world. And we're going to continue that. We're going to continue his quest next week. 
But so did the prodigal son. He went to the father. He said, can I have my inheritance? I want to go live it up. I want to go and have a fun time. And listen, here's the problem is that so many of us think that the prodigal son's sin was partying too much. And then he came to his senses and wanted to leave his party days behind. But we so often forget that the story doesn't just begin with partying. It ends with partying. Yes, there's a, there's, a, there's a party in the far country that leaves the son broken and destitute. But there is also an epic party when he gets back home where there's dancing, singing, and laughter that can be heard from the streets outside. The difference is the son cannot enjoy the party rightly until he is satisfied in the father's love. That's us. We want to enjoy this life, but we do it without being under the Father's love. And we're building things that do not last. But when we are satisfied rightly in the Father's love, we are building something that will last. We We are under a relationship with Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, satisfied in Christ and his love. Now we can enjoy life, marriage, children. We can enjoy work. We can enjoy laughter, gardening, and building, and so many other pursuits, just as God intended, but now we're doing it rightly under the Father's love. Listen, when we pursue created earthly things at all costs, we're settling for cardboard pizza at Chuck E. Cheese. But when we're satisfied in the Father's love, we can have a night at Ruth's Chris, right? (laughs) Solomon was a backslidden king. And he ended up decaying into dust. But there was another son of David that came that did not decay into dust. He walked away from the tomb, ascended into heaven, and boldly took his seat at God's right hand. And now today we have the opportunity to walk in a relationship with him. And if you are, you are toiling, you are doing all these things, and you are trying to work for success and find meaning in success, if you've bought into the false promise of success, tonight you can join the, the party on the right side. Listen, my question for you tonight comes from Psalm 16. It says, there are pleasures that last forever. So my question is, is do you want pleasures that last forever? Or do you want the ones that are fleeting? And that's a hard thing to decide. Because, But listen, when you choose to live in the Father's love and you choose to have a relationship with him, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. Listen, in Christ, we are already raised from the dead, and we are seated in heavenly places so that we can enjoy life now and forever. Listen, some of us in this room are chasing the things that bring us temporary fulfillment that will not last Forever, We're chasing our jobs, we're chasing grades, school, promotions, a boat, the perfect house, the perfect life, but it's not bringing your life lasting meaning. So this evening, I have a challenge for you. I want to challenge you to submit your wants, your desires, your aspirations to Christ. I want, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar, that you, you lay them down that you ask for forgiveness and that you tell the Lord, hey, I am sorry. I am sorry for what I have made this life about. 
I'm sorry for chasing the things of this earth and I'm sorry for living it up at a party not under your love. I'm sorry for not pursuing you, making this life about you. Some of us have never embraced that love. We've never embraced God's love, his mercy, his grace. We've never, we've never embraced his forgiveness that the Father extends. Some of us are prodigals who need to come and celebrate at the right party. Some of us need to let what Jesus did at the cross completely transform the way that we think the way that we live our lives here on earth. Listen, I'm gonna be down to the side over here and I ask that you come and you pray and you spend time at the altar, but I'm also, if, you are, if you're ready to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would love to come and talk to you about that. Come find me here before, during the invitation or after the service tonight. Listen, our time is fleeting. Don't waste your time on things that do not last. Follow Jesus, pursue Jesus, embrace his love. If you would stand with me while I pray. Dear God, Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful to get to study King Solomon's journey to find you. Lord, we're thankful that we, we get to spend time studying your word, God, and that, Lord, I pray that right now that it would resonate in our heart, it would resonate in our mind, Lord, and I pray that you would do some, some changing within us, Lord. Do some transformation in us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we can submit our wants, our desires, our work, our aspirations to you, Lord. God, I pray for the person who is on the edge of their seat, God, who, who is ready to embrace the Father's love, but they haven't yet made that decision. God, I pray that right now you would give them the courage to come find me during this invitation time. God, I, give us the courage to move and to come to the altar, to get on our knees and say, Lord, I am sorry. Help us to be bold in our faith. Bless this time as we, as we continue to worship you. We love you. We're thankful for you. It's your name we pray. Amen.